You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Can you believe we've been friends for seven years? And it all started because I compared you to Alana the Lioness. Tamara Pierce really set the tone of our friendship. A love of magic. Briar Moss. Fantasy. Briar Moss. Powerful women. And of course, Briar Moss. I'm Anna. And I'm MJ. And we invite you to join our circle of friendship. Where we do a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. We answer important questions like, how does Moonstream let certain dedicates take care of children? Can you imagine anyone else but Mandy Patinkin playing Nico? Knives, Briar. And Knives! Join us every other Monday at cofpodcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. But seriously, Knives... Hello, Steven here. The episode that we have today is actually the beginning of us talking about the book, The Forever War, one that we talked about having read on other podcasts, but we're finally deciding to put out now, and we hope that you like it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Love of Pages. For those of you getting to watch the little count-in, Jessica did a wonderful job, and I actually got it right this time. (laughs) So this is Elizabeth, and I'm joined again by Jessica. Hello. And Steven. That's me. (laughs) And we are starting our next book. We are starting The Forever War. So we're going to do, yes... I, got, oh, I, I have a I, I was telling everybody else I'm really proud of myself. I found it on our local library as an ebook, which Ooh. on the video is a blank white screen. I promise there is actually text there. See, uh, this one, this one's interesting. You're the one using the digital version of a book this time, oh, and no. I have a physical one. <laughs> I will probably be switched to the physical by next week, <laughs> mostly because. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna support the public library. I'm gonna be sustainable. I you know, no need for another printed book that's just gonna sit on my bookshelf when we're done reading this. I sped through it way too fast this way. Mm. <laughs> and so we're gonna see how well I do at plot summarizing this third mm. just on that note alone. But we're gonna mix it up a little bit uh, on this round. I'm going to do the drink real quick, and then Stephen wants to start with the footnote as mm-hmm. a nice little introduction to the book this time around. So, this evening, we are all drinking various versions of warm beverages, I believe. Nope, Stephen. <laughs> nope. No. Ice cold. Ice cold, <laughs> Stephen. Stephen. Terrible. Terrible. Uh, so, tonight's beverage is a hot toddy uh, for me, which is surprisingly it does not have tea when i used to try and make this originally i always thought it had tea in it but it doesn't actually have tea so it's warm water honey cinnamon brandy or whiskey or i used cognac because what i had on hand that sounded good a little bit of lemon juice and then you can garnish with a slice of lemon and or a cinnamon stick is what's recommended in most recipes i kind of had to scour a bunch of them to try and piece it together jessica is drinking 
Casually, tea. Yeah, <laughs> was not digging alcohol for tonight, so I'm just I'm just drinking tea. There we go. <laughs> and then tea. Steven's drinking probably water with some sort of mio or something in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel bad. <laughs> this this one is right up my alley. Spicy teas and stuff. I literally just have a whole house full of it. Not today. You have to pause so you can go make tea. Yeah. <laughs> this I already have so much caffeine in this one. <laughs> I should not be ingesting all the spiced black teas that I have as well. You don't have any? I don't have any what? Herbal teas? Yeah. I don't have anything that doesn't have caffeine in the liquid in my house, except for water. If, listen, like, that's like the idea of like having... So- like It's taking something into your body with none of the awesome rewards. You know? I'm not going to... Hydration and flavor. No, no, don't get me wrong. Everything comes with flavor and hydration, but it also has that pep in its step. <laughs> All right. All right. It has an addiction, I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have an intervention off camera eventually. Listen, I'm so hopped up so on caffeine. You guys aren't going to be able to keep me in one room. Just try and stop me. Yeah, yeah. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> All right. On that note, Stephen, what's our footnote for today? Okay. So this one is actually going to be predominantly about the author himself, uh, Joe Haldeman. I think that um, a bit of information about Joe Haldeman, the way the book was perceived um, when it first came out and kind of the origin of the book is a really good thing to carry into the book. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it influences the perception of the entirety of what this book is personally. Um, and it was something that I didn't find out until afterwards. And knowing that I only found it out afterwards, I think it's actually kind of interesting that I made it all the way through for this one, honestly. Because okay. um, uh, I'm not a um, like a, a war kind of person or anything. So it's this real is a pretty thick war book. So it's true. Like, <laughs> pretty straight up war. Yeah, I don't, I don't even watch war movies or anything like that. Um, so for this one. Um, I'm just going to read straight off the Wikipedia page, actually. They put it nice and concisely. So, um, The novel is uh, widely perceived to be a portrayal of the author's military service during the Vietnam War. Uh, mm-hmm. and it has been called an account of his war experiences written through a space opera filter. Um, other hints uh, of the autobiographical nature of the work are um, the protagonist's surname, Mandela, which is a near anagram of the author's surname, so Haldeman. Uh, Mandela being a, uh, a physics student like Haldeman, as well as the name of the female character, Mark Gay Potter, uh, or yeah, uh, Mary Gay Potter, um, which is nearly identical to Haldeman's wife's maiden name. Um, if one accepts this reading of the book, uh, the alienation experience, I can't read anything on the small screen. <laughs> the alienation experienced by the soldiers on returning to earth here caused by the time dilation effect, um, which we obviously know, um, mm-hmm. uh, um, becomes a clear metaphor for the reception given to U.S. troops returning to America from Vietnam, yeah. including the way in which the war um, ultimately proves useless and the result meaningless. There's no spoilers mm. in this for the conversation for this one. I gave you guys kind of yeah, a primer yeah. for this one before. Yeah, no. um, so yeah, like I just think that that's a really interesting one to kind of look at it through. Um, and again, I do think it influences a lot of the way that the book is, again, perceived. It's not just some straight up thing where a person thought, hey, I'm going to make a story with like guns, violence and like cutting up aliens with laser weapons and such. Um, I think it does also lend itself to um, the way that 
we'll we'll go into um things are described so particularly like the parts where a person is supposed to like carve a hole and then uh drop like a a small explosive into and everything yeah that's Mm -hmm. a pretty grounded thing Mm -hmm. so um i just wanted to make sure you get that one out ahead of everything else yeah honestly i feel like reading it without knowing that it's and and it could be because I've read, I watch a lot of war movies. I knew that this is the Vietnam War. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, this is a book about the Vietnam War. Just like how the soldiers are and everything else, how descriptive it is, and more importantly, like what happens later on with like the, like what has to do sort of like the psychosis kind of sort of thing, oh. of like how you're taught your enemy is like evil and it kind of sort of i was like that like yeah that sounds like a vietnam war vet is writing this so just well and so we were talking about before we started so this was initially published in 1974 Mm -hmm. so we're still talking like it's still fresh like this isn't a vietnam war vet who's writing 30 40 50 years out from there Mm -hmm. yeah they're still in the thick of it yeah i think that's that's pretty important and other than being a Vietnam vet, what else do we know about the author? So they, they were also a person who studied physics before, okay. being, obviously serving in the Vietnam War. Um, they, did, uh, they did go into the fact that, not like I thought after having read this book, there is actually a series to this one. Okay. There are a couple other ones, and I was a little yeah. surprised by that personally. So huh. other than this series, has he written anything else? A lot. A lot. I, I okay. this this one is widely regarded to be his seminal work, like the most influential one. Um, it's also it's also seen as strangely kind of like a companion novel to um, the original novel, Starship Troopers. Um, okay. th- and the movie and the book oh. Starship Troopers are drastically different for anyone. I, who's, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have okay. yet to read the book. But. The, the book is still like uber patriotic and everything. It's that's uh-huh. still in there, but it's not like uh, the same kind of mm, almost like missing the point parody of patriotism and war. So this this one, um, the author of Starship Troopers had actually congratulated Joe Haldeman for winning all the awards that he got on this book when it first came out. Okay. So, and then is Joe Haldeman still alive? Has yeah, he passed? Know. This part I don't know. Let me go ahead and take a look at that one. If he's alive, where does he live? <laughs> so Joe Haldeman um, looks like, no, he's still alive. And actually, he lives in Oklahoma, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> Where the wind comes, we've been down the plains. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, honestly, I've, I've never really looked into the man too much, um, aside from just the books that he wrote and a couple of awards and things. Um I don't know about you guys, but uh, on certain times, going to find out more about authors has definitely been a burden. Yeah. So, so occasionally, yeah. What awards has this book won? They got um, like a Nebula Award at the very least. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, it was up for being adapted into a movie several times just over the past like thirty years. That's surprising. Um, and most rec- uh-huh. most recently, it's been tied to Ridley Scott the most. Okay. Okay. I feel like he can manage this. Uh, it got the uh, the Nebula Award for Best Novel, mm-hmm. um, the Locus Award, and the Hugo Award also yep. for Best Novel. The Hugo. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. the highly lauded one lettered awards and ones that everyone would put on their book jacket yes (laughs) so that is kind of some background to the forever war so i guess i will do a quick summation and then there is lots to talk about in Mm -hmm. this a lot to talk about so we open with um basically in base training for our protagonist and his it's not a it's platoon it's too big but it's yeah his his training class yeah his training (laughs) yeah before the divide out into platoons it's not a platoon it's not a battalion like those are too big like we're dealing with a much smaller group (laughs) but it's the entirety of the fighting force so like it is the entire battalion Mm -hmm. um so, no, it is a drafted force, too. It is a drafted force. So we learn very quickly it's a drafted force. It's drafted not by randomness or on strictly a personality types to be in war or to be in armed forces, but in fact for intelligence skills and basically being perfect specimens of the human race, mm-hmm. which is yep. interesting. Uh it is set in a world where you're dealing with a global government. However, politicians are still politicians, so they are still running the show and sending people off to war. Um, and they are training on Earth in Missouri <laughs> because that's the cold tundra. Having lived in the Midwest, I did find this highly entertaining, but we'll talk about that later. So they train in Missouri. And it's a mixed group. Everybody bunks together, um, co-ed, which is very, if very unusual and interesting concept. Very, yeah. un- very detached from our current reality. But mm-hmm. from there, they get shipped off to uh, Launch Point Base Cochrane. Is that am I, am I pronouncing that right? Sharon, Sharon, Sh- uh, Karen, uh, Karen, yeah. yeah. Karen, which is a planet. What? Sorry. Mythology. The Greek god that does the boat across the river Styx for the dead. (laughs) Yeah, Karen. (laughs) That makes makes far more sense, yes. (laughs) Uh, And it's a... um, It's twice... It's a planet twice as far from the sun as Pluto. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the whole purpose of this is they have discovered I'm going to get this wrong because I keep calling it a black hole but that's not really what it is it's somebody give me the that, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound wrong they're, they're, they're using yeah, a, a um, like a faster than light travel method um, yeah. that like honestly what I don't think it? the the gobbledygooks like science stuff in there is like super duper important for this one so I'm going to call it's it a portal. Hole. That's not what they call it. <laughs> but it's this permanent existence in space that allows you to basically teleport from one position in space to another mm-hmm. in an instant. And-, um, and in discovering this, the global government, because we're humans, we're like, great, now we can colonize the universe. Yay. No repercussions and we won't <laughs> run into any potential other life forms. It's fine. 
So they have been sending out colonizers along with little tracking robots that go behind them or little tracking spaceships that go behind them Mm -hmm. to bring back information in case something happens. Well, one limps back to Earth and it they piece together that the ship was destroyed, the colonization ship was destroyed by what they are referring to as Tarons. Yeah. Some form of alien race they know nothing about. I, I, did, so the- I did disagree with the way that they talk about it in the book. They say, listen, like, um, they're from, Al- they're Aldebarans, like, so like Al- Aldebarians. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. That Al- sounds way freaking cooler than Torrens. That's a a much better name, guys. (laughs) But you don't want to give a cool name to the enemy. I guess that's true. Mm -mm. You got me there. (laughs) You don't give a cool name to the enemy. You have a menacing name to the enemy. And Toron sounds very much like Toro, like bull, Mm -hmm. like bull in a china shop. And they're just beasts that we have to destroy. So I get it. In any case, politicians of the world determine the best thing we can do is draft our best, brightest, most fit, and send them out to create base camps around these black holes on either end and to kill all the Taurons. I think yeah. at that point, did they start referring to the thing that they went into the big old heady description of just as Stargates at that point? Yes. Yes. At that okay. point, it's just Stargates. At that point, we just started calling, they just started calling them Stargates. But in any case... So they land on Karen, and this is their training. This is their boot camp in space. So it sucks. <laughs> and it sucks. And they get told the first day that look, forty-eight of you, forty-eight out of the fifty of you made it through boot camp on Earth. Two had to be psychovaled out. That's pretty good. I'm gonna bet we're gonna have about twenty-five of you when we're done. Mm-hmm. And. <laughs> really getting off is dying so look to the person to the left look to the person to the right two of you will die (laughs) (laughs) that was basically the initial pep talk and the only way that they deal with insubordination is with a 45 caliber gun you know because that's just how you deal with things in space i guess um the other interesting part and the reason that it was so important that we put this in a time space a, a timeline from when it was published the two commanding officers for this group the um sergeant and the captain are vietnam vets mm-hmm. in their late 30s early 40s yeah this is okay. like the, the 90s at this point right 99 97 yeah. okay yeah i think late 90s so it's very important to kind of like put that because I initially didn't catch the time, like the date for this. Mm-hmm. But then when they said, yes, it was, Vietnam was the most recent conflict. I'm like, okay, what? this was, this was not published recently. Cause the little author's note at the beginning of my book was from 2002. So goodness, I was, I was assuming this was published about then. And I was like, wait, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, like reading this book um, yeah. and getting this be- the beginning part of this again. The last time I read this, we were still early in like the current conflicts that we're involved in. So yeah. hearing it again and then having them mention that that was the most recent one, I was like, if only. <laughs> if only, if only. However, he did assert that there was strife in China, mm-hmm. which... 
is a whole nother topic and a whole nother podcast. But in any case, they get through the training on Charon. Uh, they do not lose as many. There are some pretty graphic descriptions of the loss of at least the very first individual on base. Our mm-hmm. protagonist goes through, so the final exam for this boot camp is we're going to place you on the dark side of this planet where it's 20 below absolute or 20 degrees above absolute zero, below absolute zero. Below. It's below. cold. It's, it's really cold. <laughs> um, and there's basically no atmosphere and there's no light and we're just not going to communicate with you. So good luck surviving. Build a base and then we're going to come pretend attack it when two weeks are up. So that's what you've got. Our protagonist ends up having to save some lives. He does the whole heroics thing. They lose a few more in those inst- in those in during that final exam um, when the attack comes and their base gets destroyed. Four people die. From there, they gear up and head to Stargate One, mm. which is the base closest to this side of the black hole. And they're there for two weeks to help expand that base and apparently prostitute out the women in their group. Seems like it. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he did say it was fairly consensual, but, like, not quite wanted. But, like, God was like, wait, what, dude? Expected consensual. Yeah. Like, no, my... But my regulations, the women uh, gave themselves up. It was that first like, line of, like, and then the platoon that was there came out, and the only two women in the platoon looking, like, haphazard, like, ragged. I'm like, oh, oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> this is not fun. So they they spend two weeks there, and then they board the ship to the planet that they have determined, that has been determined for them to go. Now, they have been training for super cold temperatures. For some reason. Super cold temperatures. For whatever reason. That was the assumption of where they were going. Last minute, welcome to the military. <laughs> the determination is no 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 now you're gonna go to this super tropical planet that's really hot and steamy and we can't really see anything under the cover of clouds that's in the atmosphere yep okay so we're gonna send you there (laughs) but we do know there's an enemy base there and you are supposed to kill everything except one because we need one prisoner to do experiments on and you need to prevent the base from working, but try and destroy as little of it as possible so we can use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Standard war tactics. That's fine. So they then land on the planet in the middle of a body of water. <laughs> because, again, they didn't know where they were landing. The major spaceship that they had just come off of for their descent stays up in orbit basically to provide a self-destruct button should any of them be captured 
they will just blow up the plutonium that's in their suits. Yep. And vaporize them. So, basically win or die. There's no... (laughs) (laughs) There will be no prisoners of war in this game. Mm -mm. So they land. Their ships float to the surface of the water. They crawl their way out. And they start marching towards the enemy base. It's 80 kilometers or 80 clicks, which is going to take them approximately four days, at least initially. They then run into what we later discover is some form of animal life on the planet Mm -hmm. that has no eyes, has three legs and one arm and a mouth. There doesn't appear to be a brain in the skull, but there are stomach and guts where they're supposed to be or where the biologists on the team say sounds about right. And the stomachs have grass in them, so they're probably animals. Of, like like local to this area. Local yeah. to this area. Uh, they introduce something really interesting that they don't really explain to me. And maybe mm-hmm. one of you has a deeper knowledge of this, but Rhine sensitivity? Yes. Oh, um, sensitive to like psychosis or telepathy, mm-hmm. basically. Espers. Like, yeah. I mean, it's kind of what I pieced together, but you would definitely, like there's no direct explanation about it until it's utilized. Yeah. So several of the people on the team are Rhine sensitive. And when they attack the animals and they kill them all, it causes significant side effects for those who are sensitive, including one individual who ends up dying basically from a hemorrhage mm-hmm. brain or some sort of aneurysm something. So it's determined they have to stop killing the animals because it's harming themselves because, you know, that's the only reason not to kill something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they keep marching forward. And initially, they did 100% assume this could be the Torrens because we have yeah. no idea what they look like. Not a clue. <laughs> no clue. So then they camp for the first evening. And in the middle of the night, they end up surrounded by these animals. And those who are Ryan sensitive start to sense that the animals are telepathically linked. And mm-hmm. they think that the invaders are funny looking. Or funny. <laughs> Y'all are weird. And I'll be like thinking back, well, you have three legs. (laughs) No brain. What the hell? (laughs) One of the interesting things in there, I think, is um, obviously every single portion of this is metaphor. but uh, And we'll Mm -hmm. go into that later. But the way that they first look at the motivations for these other aliens thinking anything is amusing about the way they look um, is like they think what they did to the person who died is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. (laughs) Yes. So, but they discover that the creatures don't attack, don't come after them. They basically just kind of follow them. Um, To me, like the picture in my head is very strange looking dogs just kind of following this group of people going, what are you doing? I'm going to follow you because I'm curious. (laughs) Um, So they decide to keep moving. So they start taking stimulation tabs 
to continue to walk, and they do the entire trek, yes, <laughs> basically nonstop until exhaustion kicks in, and then they have to stop and get some sleep. Then we get to the first major battle, the only major battle in this first part. At some point in the evening while they're sleeping, they finally f- see a tauron flying on what they describe as a broomstick over their campsite. It doesn't stop. It doesn't register them. The description is semi-humanoid with a smaller waist, a large bubble of translucent something around its midsection, arms and legs a little longer than they should be, too many fingers, no neck, head just kind of jutting out of the shoulders. So, they get to the base. And at this point, we discover that back in Missouri, they had placed a hypnotic trigger Mm -hmm. in each of the soldiers that the sergeant will now utilize to basically get them to murder the aliens gleefully. So without thought, I would without think. thought, without <laughs> remorse, without any of those things. So we get this very personal description from our protagonist of what that feels like. The very um, dissonant thought process of I don't like how happy I am about this but I'm really happy about this I know that these images in my head of the Torons like raping all of the you know settler the women settlers and ripping the flesh off the still living men and eating the babies is hyper over dramatization and not what happened at all but It feels fresh and in my mind immediately. The Torons don't seem to fight back with the exception of the one anti-aircraft device that they seem to have, which our protagonist and the humans easily avoid. And they end up pretty much wiping out the Torons with the exception of one individual gets away. And the protagonist ends very poignantly this first section saying, I think the next time the Torons won't just take it lying down. I think we will be much more evenly matched. And the next time we were. So definitely sets us up for part two. We know what we're kind of getting at at that point. But um, in this, at this stage, the Torons don't seem to have been particularly antagonistic. Mm -hmm. They were not versed in warfare, at least not of our style. Uh, And and the humans were unsuccessful in capturing a live Toron. Because they had their own suit that they could commit suicide with if need be. So, yeah. So I guess uh, I don't know. So you that's get, part of the plot wrap. 
yeah, that that's the that's the first third. That's everything in there was definitely what happened. No, did, like for this one, like did you guys have any particular parts of the very clear metaphor that you guys wanted to talk about most in all of these things? Jessica. Uh, oh. So I guess for me, the yeah. big pieces were. The perception of how it would look if you had a co-ed fighting force. Mm. Yeah. uh, That was very, because of the time it was written, it very much intrigues me and it does make me a little concerned. But where I think he got it right was despite you know, coming together in one government on earth, mm-hmm. we still have a need to find a reason to fight other things. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that our, our first reaction to anything is this is an attack, which I think very much gets to the consistency of human nature, because that would be my presumption. If you were to move this ahead to say 2075, and I was like, yes, no, that that would still be what we were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Politicians mm-hmm. would still be drafting young individuals to go off and fight in far flung places against individuals or cultures, society, races that we don't understand. Yeah. Like and- it's just gonna be what occurs. I mean, people mm-hmm. people end up fighting for no reason just because they're both trying to say the same exact thing and they're both just coming at it from a different uh a different angle and people end up in arguments just for that without even meaning to if you have like yeah. a whole war complex behind something that's profitable like it's going to happen mm-hmm. yeah one thing that oh okay um no for this one um one thing I was trying to consider while kind of reading this one as being a much older person than I was when I first read this book um, was kind of trying to wonder if um, basically no one who was in Vietnam came out of it like that was a great experience. Um, no. So I was trying to kind of consider the way that things happen between um, male and female uh, soldiers as being kind of like just the like a statement on the treatment of women in the military at the time or who were associated with the military even Um, because I mean when it's not coming down to just like them having sex at night the rest of the time there's no kind of like um, well you can do this part because you're strong and then you can't do this part because you're not as strong Um, besides like a slight mention here and there of something um, like that's not in there so I don't know if it's just like any kind of crappy treatment of anybody so much as like kind of trying to point out the negative experience that he saw people have in war in this situation. I still don't like it by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah. I was kind of wondering if that's yeah. the kind of thing he was trying to do. Well, yeah, but go ahead, Jessica, like also the Vietnam war. I mean, it was filled outside of the fighting and everything. I mean, they kept the soldiers like filled with a lot of vice to sort of control him. So like one of my biggest, it wasn't even a straight metaphor was the fact that in his tin, 
was cigarettes and also weed mm-hmm. because that was something they they gave Vietnam soldiers drugs and even illegal drugs with the intention of keeping them loyal in a way or or also trying to help them with all the issues they were having from everything that they were seeing every day. And I feel like also co-ed sex is another way to control a group of people as well. Like it's a release sort of from everything else that you're dealing with. So that was, so I, I I really like, although I didn't necessarily love the descriptions of things Mm -hmm. and like picking a partner like that, it still did make sense. Like I couldn't hate it because I'm like, no, coming from a Vietnam vet, this actually makes a lot of sense and probably would be exactly how it was, especially added on to the fact that it was quite obvious that the army or military or whatever it is didn't give a flying to trying to not curse. They don't give a doo doo <laughs> like, about it. They don't give a flying doo doo about their lives if basic training involves, no, we're going to be actively shooting at you mm-hmm. when you defend the space. Like. Yeah, and, like it's just which is another thing about the Vietnam War was they really didn't care about those soldiers' lives, which is why nobody came back happy. There was a person. There was no happiness. Yeah. Um. I at one point in time, um, several years ago, um, I was dating a person who was um a vet for from like uh, just one of the parts of the Afghanistan War, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of this unfortunately does line up with how she talked about how that went for her. Yeah. No, and I and I do think I mean yes. No, I to twenty twenty sensibilities. The statement that well, of course, you know, military women are expected to give themselves up sexually is jarring. It was not surprising. Again, that was kind of one of those things that like once you get a timeline for when this was written published and set for that would be what what you would think would occur because yeah. it had really been attempted a lot of the sexual vice in vietnam wasn't necessarily military personnel yeah as much as local civilian populations mm-hmm. um and so you would be essentially trading one for the other and but that same expectation of guaranteed consent or expected consent would probably still shape into your mind as what it would have to look like mm-hmm. for this one um just i i know that you were it looks like you were kind of like pieced together trying to piece together which thing you wanted to talk about for this one did you come across one Oh, I suppose like I kind of already talked about it with the weed thing and the also the just the the propaganda, I guess, of war itself, of how you like lie in order to make your people want to just kill without thought or meaning or with glee, I guess. I mean, that's a lot of war propaganda is telling lies about the enemies or exaggerations about the enemies. Mm-hmm. So. No, I mean, but not even war. It just, just <laughs> policy in general. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you'll hear, you know, horror stories of, well, in such a such country, you know, with the most recent one that comes to mind is, 
if you want to know what Medicare for all looks like, look to Canada where, you know, they die in gurneys in the hospital hallways. And it's like, Canadians don't <laughs> perceive it that way. Yeah. <laughs> they, it's never happened, but that's not the perception there of their healthcare system. So mm-hmm. it is, yeah. Yes, it is very prominent in war, but it's not regular regulated to just war yeah i think i think in any situation where there's a perceived clear or i guess unclear enemy you can definitely go and spin whatever kind of misinformation you want about people and it gets sown and propagated Mm. yeah Yeah. Uh, that i think the um, the way that we had talked about the book in the beginning when we were talking about the description of things um how they talk about the that they talk about how everything began with like humans going out and trying to colonize and probably gain resources and stuff. Something that began as a more economic kind of basis. We were so peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then these aliens just attacked, you know, while we were out there like circling up the wagons in space. With their bubbles. That's what I could have get over. And then a bunch of bubbles came our way and I'm like, Wait, what? And then somebody gets like decapitated by one. I'm like, oh, death bubbles. Okay. <laughs> All I'm picturing is like a giant bubble wand now. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, God. No, that's legitimately. You remember those old flower bubble wands? The ones that would like open up and then like yeah. the motor would spew bubbles? Like, that's what I pictured the base. I know. I was like, oh, wow. Well, I, th- I thought of the bubble from like Princess Mononoke, there's one that goes across the top of the water at one point and ends up killing a guy. Uh, like, uh, I don't, yeah, it, that's a whole story in, an, in unto itself. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's an interesting one that even with the description of how we're told the world in the beginning, it goes from kind of like the indoctrination story to slowly breaking down um, into what he's actually seeing and then even though the people that we have are all people who are smart people, people who consider pretty much every aspect of what things are, um, mm-hmm. to, like, they talk about um, in the part where he's talking about the, um, what, what, what's the word here for this one? Like the programming that they got. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when he's talking about like seeing the images of this being done by the, the, the Torrens and like them doing these things. And his with- intelligent brain is like, you, you saw them they don't even have genitals like yeah. just- like they don't have genitals like in there even the part where they're talking about like them why eating a person women. Like, why would they eat a person yeah. like it's not a protein they're used to like it's probably poisonous like yeah all of those things are working in his mind while he's still doing these things and finding some kind of like primal joy in killing them um and i think that's from the beginning to here i'm definitely very curious to continue seeing the change in things and with the analytical mind that we have. That's what, that was probably the most interesting thing to me was that they intentionally drafted intellectual people to basically be infantry. Like, I was like, that's an interesting choice. I guess I kind of understand it, but at the same time, this would be a mission that you would want somebody very, easily influenced no, I get that I one. like you don't be, want somebody like you don't want somebody to be fighting against your propaganda like it you're like might mm. be because <laughs> they're putting them in like two billion dollar suits a piece 
Yeah, that that could that, be that's, it. That's, and that's those suits can turn into bombs. No sense, but we like, put eighteen year olds in two billion dollar pieces of equipment frequently. You got yeah, me there. like it's, they're sending like, them out in space. I, I don't know. You just <laughs> teach them exactly what they need to know. Like I, just, I think that is the thing. I think it's because they don't know what they're what they're going to encounter and have to deal with out in space. Mm-hmm. That that reason that they look for scientists in various fields you've got a biologist you've got a med you know you've got a doctor mm-hmm. who's a medic you've got a physicist you've got and you counteract dealing with those intellectuals by instead of just training you actually have now Im- essentially implanted on off switches mm-hmm. um, for all intents and purposes I- so that's you know I guess you trade one tool for the other. Yeah, that's true. I I do also like the um the fact that they don't really separate in the beginning who could possibly be these Torrens and who could be just the locals. That's a pretty literal definition of how how they identified or failed to identify enemies in Vietnam, as far as I understand it, and honestly mm-hmm. in war now as well. Um, with like so many different kinds of like like guerrilla forces and stuff where you, it's hard to distinguish. Um, even when that happens, I, they're, they're still not painting the, the Torrens or the local aliens as being inherently bad still. No. And I definitely appreciate that in this. Um, it's not mm-hmm. that like, okay, now that we've identified those are the Torrens, like those are the bad guys, those are monsters, and they're eating us up and we're going to go destroy them. Nothing like that. The the locals who are there are just innocent bystanders, bystanders in all of this. They're just there. Yeah. That was the main one I wanted to talk about for that one because that was the most interesting piece for me makes sense yeah no it is it is it's good it's it's interesting i did find it was very hard it got a little easier as the chapters went on but the level of scientific detail or just detail in general very much felt like we were back on artemis and i was like I don't care. <laughs> the the part where they were talking about like how um, the shoes would interact with the different kinds of temperature material for the ground, yeah, and everything. I yes. I checked out <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah, oh my- like scanning through what, <laughs> or like that entire bridge building scene in like in chapter two or three while they're still in Missouri. Um, which was, mm. that was the other thing. They're like, you know, in the tundra cold of Missouri. And I'm like, that's <laughs> not, it's cold. Don't get me wrong. It does. Missouri does get cold in the winter, but you're going to need to head a little farther north. Like, <laughs> you want tundra. Yeah. Like you got to head north. <laughs> least you could do is give me like North Dakota, <laughs> upper Minnesota, Montana. I mean, there's a testing facility in Alaska. Like it's just yeah. So you guys go there. Yeah, go to Fairbanks. <laughs> if you're going to be looking at you know temperatures twenty below absolute zero, like go north, <laughs> go north. <laughs> you know, or if we have a global government, why aren't you in Siberia? Like no offense, but why aren't you in Siberia? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
that's true honestly at this point i don't know how much of this might still be predominantly american as well american led i think it's still well and that's why i asked you the question in the footnote as to where the author lives mm-hmm. or growing up because yeah if you grew up in oklahoma missouri probably would because that's <laughs> north of you that is north <laughs> So it would be someplace that would make sense. Mm-hmm. And there are there are a lot of U.S. military bases in Missouri, so that's not entirely surprising. But, yeah, I was just like, I was like, Missouri? Really? That's where you chose? Like, so It was a lot colder in the 70s. I am curious. Go farther up. <laughs> it was just so much colder in the 70s. So... <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite buy that. <laughs> like, yes, the overall temperature of the Earth was colder in the seventies. Not disputing climate change. <laughs> you still should have headed north. I would agree. Thule Air Base is the most northern military base right now, and it's off the coast of Greenland. So they could have gone there at least. Go north. Yes. Go north. Well, also, that, that would that's also the most military or northernmost military base now. Also. Now, yeah, yeah. Ooh, it's up there. Seventies, <laughs> <laughs> we still would have had a base in Alaska. Yeah, at the very least, had multiple bases in Alaska. Mm-hmm. So Fairbanks has done this oh, for a long time. Oh, yeah, Fairbanks. Yeah, it's. It's actually tied to the base here in Yuma. There's there's three major testing facilities that you have. So you have the Tundra, which is Alaska, for if you're going to be fighting Russia. And then you have the one here in Yuma, which is desert, for when you're going to be fighting the Middle East. And then you have one in um, Costa Rica. I think Costa Rica. Uh-huh. I don't know. Down in South America. Down near the Panama Canal. Wherever the Panama Canal is, I'm totally blanking on what country it's in. <laughs> well, the Panama Canal is in Panama. Panama. So in Panama. Oh, my God. Okay. So down in Panama is your tropic one for when you're fighting in tropical regions in Asia. So there you go. Like, it, those are intentionally for... I mean, those are testing facility, those, not like infantry facilities. But you can always just send them there to... I say, but you must know. <laughs> does a lot of the training for infantry multiple times a year. Yeah, my high school got used as a practice place for like going to the Middle East all the time. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but in yeah. any I was just I was like if you're expecting really cold temperatures, Missouri's not cold enough. It's cold. <laughs> it's not cold enough. <laughs> like <laughs> you can and should get colder. Uh However, that was probably my biggest, like, that was by far my biggest upset with any of the details in this book. Like, forget the laser fingers. (laughs) That's fine. Or these suits that can regulate your temperature, you know, whether it's 20 below absolute zero or, you know, 40 degrees Celsius. So you're almost, you know, melting i think it's like it's like 120 yeah in fahrenheit for that 
Exactly. Yeah. And suits just keep you perfectly temperatured unless of course you manage to fall on your back at all and damage these fins and in which case you're just you're dead. You're just like, you're going to boil inside your suit. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> or or you know, walk past a visit hydrogen and just like blow up. You're bomb oh. now. <laughs> like Oh, okay. I guess it does make sure. Back of your necks, that that the you know command structure can just vaporize you to death if they don't like what you're doing. Uh, (laughs) It's just covering your bases. Just covering all your bases. I like the laser fingers best. Yeah. But um, I want to thank you guys for like joining me on this one. Whether that's like the two of you or anyone who's listening or watching, like it's not a light novel to pick up. Um, I. Like, don't get me wrong, yeah. there's still parts that are interesting, but mm-hmm. it's still heavy. It's still a war thing. Yeah. It's still a war thing. So I will point out, is. you guys chose this. We did. Oh, okay. <laughs> we were given options, and this is what we chose. Um, I do want to, I know this is going to go out. Later. Much later than when we're doing this. But they were recording this. Want to give a shout out to uh, John of the Geeks Watch podcast for a happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. So here's your happy birthday message a few weeks late. <laughs> birthday. <laughs> and Jessica, if people want to discuss this potential uh, tele- telepathic uh, power, where can they reach you? You can reach me on Twitter as JM Bailey writes. And Stephen, where can people find you? You can find me on my website, peppermintgentleman.com. Uh, if you go there, you can find any links to my social media stuff, but also check things out while you're there. Perfect. You can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media and our Facebook page forward slash Geek Elite Media. We do also have our Patreon page where extra episodes and fun surveys chat times occur uh with our patreon so hop on over to our patreon page geek elite media to join us there and support this growing network archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts are at geekelitemedia.com until next time this is the love of pages reminding you to keep turning those pages and always remember to geek out geek out This concludes our broadcast. 